Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week two, day three of our study of Joshua. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Joshua 5, 1 through 15. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God. Speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to encounter you in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. We're reading today from the NIV. This is Joshua 5, starting in verse 1. Now, when the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. This is huge. This is a big deal. Yesterday, I alluded to this that, okay, they crossed over and now they're in hostile territory. Now what? And this is the now what, right? It sounds like the way that this is putting it to us is that they were kind of expecting them at some point to cross over and they were ready to mount an offensive or a defensive, I guess, against them and go and face them head on before they had a chance to start making their way through the land. But when they heard that the Lord had now parted like or dried up the Jordan River the same way he had done with the Red Sea, everyone's like, I don't want to mess with them. And this is the thing, right? This is when I think about the Egyptians. They are chasing the Israelites over to the Red Sea. And the Lord actually puts a wall of fire between the Israelites and and the Egyptians. There's a number of days where the Israelites and the Egyptians, the only thing keeping the Egyptians from killing them is literally there is this supernatural wall of fire between the Israelites and and the Egyptians. If it hadn't been for that, they could have just killed them all. And so then the Lord parts the Red Sea, the Israelites cross, and as they get all the way across, then the Lord lifts the wall of fire. And the Egyptians are like, oh, the wall of fire is gone. And oh my goodness, they're escaping across the Red Sea. Let's follow them. Let's chase them through the Red Sea. That sounds like a good idea, right? Every bit of this just strikes me as you morons. How could you have not seen any of this coming? There's a supernatural wall of fire. And when it lifts, you still want to chase them? I mean, every every step along the way, if I'm one of the Egyptians, I'm like, um, I didn't sign up for this. Like, I don't know what the wall of fire is. I don't know how water parts like this and is walled up on either side. And I, I'm not into this. I didn't sign up for this. I want to go home now. Can I go home? Right. That's That's what I'm thinking. And none of them, like, this doesn't cross their minds. But now all of these people in the land of Canaan, they're like, they're coming to that conclusion. They're like, wait a second. None of the Egyptians were like, I want out. I don't want to deal with this. And, and so everyone in the land of Canaan, they're all like, oh no, I don't want any part of these people. I don't want any part of this because how, how, who, who does this happen for? How does this happen? This is unheard of. This is insane that two large bodies of water at this point have parted for this massive group of people. And now they're coming this way. Not a good day for them. Let's continue on. Verse two. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now that is, uh, this is why he did so. 
all those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way uh, after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them if they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there where they were in camp until they were healed. So this is a big deal, right? The whole thing where the Lord puts fear in all these people, He's a, they're going to cross over and he's going to command them to be circumcised. He could have done that on the other side of the Jordan, but he brought them up and then caused them to get circumcised Right, so like you're, 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 you're amputating part of your body, um, and for a guy, it's it's quite a unpleasant part of your body to amputate as an adult, to take off, and so they're just laying around waiting for this to heal. It's going to take a while, <clears throat> and no one attacks them. No one attacks them. Now, the other thing about this is. Of, of all these people, Joshua and Caleb are the only two that are circumcised. They come out of Egypt circumcised. Nobody else is because no one circumcised their kids uh, while they're wandering around. And I find that very interesting. I, I, I find it interesting that the Lord had already commanded that, but they weren't actually doing it over this 40-year period, and, and Moses didn't force them to. I, I, it's, it's one of those things that I, I find very odd. Before the Lord is going to allow them to start taking this holy land that he set apart for them, he's like, you all have to go through this, this ritual, essentially, that I have uh, come up with to, to make you different Israelites. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. So it, it, it told us the original name of the place was, um, I'm looking for it here, Gibeath Haraloth. But because of this, this activity, it's renamed to Gilgal. And on the map here that I'm showing, you can see Gilgal is right here next to Jericho, just to the northwest or just north really of the Dead Sea. Verse 10, let's continue on. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now, this is a big deal. I'm going to pause right here. They have been for 40 years eating manna and quail. Right? The manna comes every night except for the Sabbath and falls on the ground. They go and they collect it, and then the quail blow through on these occasions and they eat the meat. <clears throat> um, when they cross over the Jordan, now remember, we described how the walled cities worked. Everyone lives in their little towns and they live in, in these, um, you know, on their farms. There's lots of farmland. Gilgal is most likely a little village or a town that's not fortified. It's, it's going to be a place um, or 
or it's nearby or maybe, you know, it could have been like just a, you know, a wagon wheel crossing kind of place, but it's a place on the map. It had a name before they changed the name. So my guess is that it was actually a settlement, a town of some kind, but it's non-fortified. And so this would have been where all the people live when they go out to their farms and they go there and that's where they live most of the time. But if there's a, an attacking army, they're going to abandon this town. They're going to abandon their fields. And they're going to run to the fortified city, which in this case is Jericho. So that's why when they get over there, there's nobody there. All of these people, they have already, they know that the Israelites are coming. They know that they've been camped on the opposite side of the, Jer- of the Jordan. And, and for, for them, this is not like looking across the, the Red Sea, like where you can't really make out what's on the other side. Here, the Jordan River, even in flood stage, is not so wide that you couldn't be on a hill and see what's on the other side. So there's been millions of people amassed on the other side of the Jordan River waiting to come across. Everyone knew that they're coming. And so then when the sea parts and the news spreads, everyone has now fled to Jericho. So everyone is holed up inside the walled city, the fortified city of Jericho, and everything else has been abandoned. And so they come into this land and all of these fields are now abandoned and they start harvesting from these fields, right? They're taking the bread or they're taking the grain, they're roasting it, they're making bread. And so they celebrate the Feast of Passover with food and animals that they've slaughtered from this land that they've crossed into that's all abandoned. All of these people have just left so they can go save their lives in the city of Jericho. And it's on this day, the day after they do this, that the manna stops. There's no more. I mean, the day before, right? Even in the the promised land, after they'd crossed over, they've been here for several days. They've been recovering from the circumcision and the manna is still falling, And it wasn't until this day when they eat from all of this abandoned fields and livestock that that is when the manna stops and never comes down again because the Lord has now provided for them these abandoned fields that are already producing food. I I just find that really, really uh, amazing, really fascinating. Verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? That's a perfectly valid question, I think. Like you see, you've got this massive army. You see this one guy coming at you with a sword and you're going to be like, "Um, I don't know who you are. You look a little different and you've got a giant sword. So are you with us or are you with somebody else? Because if you're with somebody else, I've got a bunch of people here with swords and I'm sure we can take care of this. Verse 14. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for this place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. All right. So, This is uh, an intriguing thing here. Every case that I can think of in scripture, when a human being falls down, like as to, to pay honor, reverence, worship, whatever you want to call it, before an angel, the angel's like, I mean, every place I can think of in scripture where this happens, the angel says, get up. I'm, I'm just like you. We serve the same person. You shouldn't be worshiping me. You shouldn't be falling down in front of me like this. 
Don't be afraid. Get up. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily this couldn't be an angel. Most certainly could be. But many people believe that this is what's often called a theophany, an appearing of Jesus, the Son of God, the the second person of the Trinity, standing here before Joshua. Now, um, some people, when they read these things, are like, this is most definitely a theophany. It could be. Some people are like, well, it's, I mean, and of course, Jews are like, definitely it's not. Um, I don't know that I like to be as dogmatic about those things that scripture doesn't very clearly say. So scripture doesn't clearly say one way or the other. Now we do know from the book of Revelation that the commander of the Lord's army is Jesus himself. When he comes back, the one leading the army is not Michael, it's not Gabriel, it's Jesus. It's Jesus himself. So of all of the places in all of scripture that lend themselves toward us believing in a theophany, I think this is the greatest case right here because he says, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I'm not on either side. I'm on my side. The commander of the Lord's army here is like, I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. Like you need to get with the program and be on my side you want to be fighting with the Lord's army. You don't want to be fighting against us or beside us. Be fighting with me. <clears throat> so again, commander of the Lord's army, same kind of nomenclature in Revelation where we know the commander of the Lord's army is Jesus himself. And again, this person, when Joshua falls down, doesn't say, hey, get up, get up, you know, don't be afraid. And then the third part is not only does he not say don't, you know, don't do that. Get up. I'm, I'm just like you. He says, uh, you're fine to stay down there, but while you're there, take off your sandals because this place is holy in the same way that when Moses was before the burning bush, the whole, the, the Lord himself speaking face to face directly to Moses through this burning bush. He says, take your sandals off. This is holy ground. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal. So again, I don't like to be dogmatic about saying this is a theophany. It's not a theophany. But of all the places that, that theologians and people throughout Scripture have said this is a, a you know a, an appearance of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity in the Old Testament, I think this one carries the most weight for sure. And I'm not saying that you know one way or another on all the rest of these, but this one for sure, it really does sound like he's standing there and having this theophany right before the Lord of hosts, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. This is an amazing moment. This is an amazing moment. I can't imagine what that must have looked like. Joshua is going to have this moment before the Lord, and then we know what's coming here. Jericho is about to fall. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.